Hello, and thank you for listening to The History of World War II Podcast, Episode 349, Malto's Orders, KBO, Keep Buggering On. Last time, as Admiral Cunningham was gearing up his Eastern Mediterranean Naval Force to evacuate Allied troops off Crete, the larger information he was receiving convinced him, and he told London this, that three squadrons of long-range fighters and a few heavy bomber squadrons could have saved Crete. In other words, Cunningham was worried that Malta would go with the way of Crete. It was just a matter of when. And he still did not have enough planes. Then again, without rehashing the Battle of Crete, Ultra, the designation used by the British military intelligence in obtaining encrypted access radio and teleprinter communications, had let the defenders know what was coming and roughly when. Thus, defensive forces were placed around the island's beaches and not at the island's main airfield, which was the Germans' first priority. As the battle played out, the Allies were overwhelmed, but managed to bleed Hitler's air arm with 284 planes destroyed. The price for this almost successive defense was just over 4,000 men lost and 12 ships sunk with another 22 damaged. The eastern Mediterranean would be quiet for a while, if only because Cunningham had to close ranks in the east. His losses would have to be made good before another offensive sortie could be done there, which shifted his emphasis back to the western Mediterranean. However, what London could not know was that the heavy loss of airborne troops had shaken Hitler, who was now most unlikely to approve another airborne attack, which meant if Malta was going to fall, it either had to be starved to death or taken with a proper beach landing, which did not sit well with Der Fuhrer as his massive, hopefully war-ending offensive against Stalin's Russia was about to commence. True, Nazi Germany had a few years head start on Britain in terms of arms production, but even Berlin had to husband its resources. Malta would have to wait, at least as far as Berlin was concerned. Perhaps Rome could prove herself a worthy partner and remove this headache. But what should not be forgotten was Admiral Cunningham's hope that his submarines could pull their collective weight for a while, at least until more planes and ships made it to the Mediterranean. We have already seen the crew of the sub-upholder trying to do just that, plus save the job of their commander, Lieutenant Commander Malcolm David Wanklin, with a few successful hunts. But the war in the Mediterranean wasn't over yet. As things stood, the Allies were trying to stop Axis forces heading from north to south from reaching North Africa, while the Axis were trying to stop Allied ships and planes heading into the Mediterranean from the far western end from reaching Malta. Having returned to Malta in late April, the sub-upholder, coming in with its Jolly Roger waving in the wind, signaling sunken enemy ships, after repairs, Wanklin and company headed back out on May 15th. Told to patrol around the toe of Italy, Wanks, as he was called, and his men were hoping for another solid outing, knowing that every enemy vessel sunk meant Malta and North Africa were that much safer. It was time to go to work. 
This podcast could not exist without the help of sponsors like Yahoo Finance. When it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. Now, you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses, Yahoo Finance. I've stressed this in my podcast about command and control, which is exactly what Yahoo Finance is. You can see all your investments and retirement accounts in one place. You can consolidate your views from multiple accounts into one hub and access the expert analysis you need to tend to your entire portfolio with confidence. Yahoo Finance has been around for more than 25 years, and they've worked things out. You've got the tools you need right at your fingertips. I open up my Yahoo Finance, and within seconds, I can see how my stocks and investments are doing. And basically, investing is all about growth. And in order to grow, you need to know what's going on. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. As the upholder headed out in mid-May, Lieutenant Commander Wanks was hoping to make up for some of the recent Axis air attacks on Malta. On Easter Sunday, April 13th, the ancient capital Imdina, almost in the center of the western half of the island, and had no military components of any kind, was thoroughly bombed by the Germans. The air attack stopped after Easter, that is, until April 27th, with a daylight raid, again targeting the port facilities and various airfields. The night of April 28th saw bombs fall on St. John's Cathedral in the capital, Valletta, which was heavily damaged. The next day, April 29th, another raid destroyed a church, a cinema, and a theater. As the attitude of the Maltese towards these air attacks ebbed and flowed, sometimes they sought shelter, sometimes not, the number of civilians killed each month fluctuated wildly. In January of 1941, 65 civilians died, whereas February saw only 15 deaths. March had 30, and April had 47. By the end of the year, 289 civilians would be dead, which did not include the military deaths. But what the collective defenders would find by the end of the year, perhaps shockingly, was that they were still in possession of Malta. For surely, again, the capture of Crete was but a prelude. But if London, and specifically the Admiralty, wanted to see how bad Wanks wanted to keep his job, they were about to find out. Whether it was the god of war or simply the vagaries of war, the upholder started having problems right out of the gate on its latest tour. First, a torpedo started leaking. It had to be taken offline, which cramped up the crew's already limited space. Next, on the third day of their patrol, the sub's ASDIC, later to be called Sonar, stopped working. Now they could not track an enemy or know when they were being tracked, which was the very purpose of a sub. This was serious, and in almost any other moment, Winks would have ordered a return to base. But ABC and London were watching, so Winks decided they would remain on patrol. This decision potentially paid off 
when the upholder was told on May 19th that a convoy was expected to soon depart Italy's west coast. Wanks got into position and lied in wait. And sure enough, on the 20th, the Italian ships were spotted. Yet they were far away at the time, and Wanks knew that his sub, though quieter than others, was also smaller and slower. Even at max speed, it looked as if the sub could not catch up. But Wanks could not let them have a free pass on their trip to North Africa. So, while he was still 7,000 yards away, three torpedoes were ordered out. It took a while, but luck was with the upholder, as one of the torpedoes hit the tanker. Not bad, considering the distance and no Aztec. The upholder sailed on, looking for more targets. On May 23rd, the upholder spied several French ships, but again, they were several thousand yards away and moving fast. The question was, were they Free French or Vichy? Wanks decided quickly it did not matter, and clearly asked for another miracle as he launched more torpedoes. His reasoning was, even if they were Vichy, they had to be operating with access permission. Again, someone must have been looking out for the British sub as one fish found its target. The next day, May 24th, even Wanks was ready to head for home. After all, their sonar was out, they were down to two torpedoes, besides the faulty one they had stored away. At this moment, Tubby Crawford, the sub's number two, was in the control room, working the periscope, especially as their sonar was inoperable. As the sun went down on that May 24th, Tubby suddenly spotted something. It was only a shape, but it did not fit in with the natural setting. Taking his time and moving the periscope to allow him to see more of the picture, Tubby was suddenly shocked to realize that he was looking at a massive enemy troop ship surrounded by five destroyers heading south for North Africa. But taking his time and taking in more of the situation around him, Tubby then realized those five destroyers were actually guarding four large troop ships, which were currently zigzagging their way to Africa. At this moment, the Axis vessels were to the west of the upholder's position. This, of course, was reported to Lieutenant Commander Wanklin immediately. However, Tubby added to his report his opinion, as he was supposed to, that the targets were too well guarded, their sub was hardly at maximum efficiency, and the exchange would only lead to a possible kill, but a definite suicide. Further, the waters were choppy, which would make holding the sub level that much harder, which would affect their aim with their last two torpedoes. And hitting targets was their only reason for being there. Wanks thought about everything that Tubby had just said, and then countered with, yes, but with each second it gets darker, making us harder to see. As this was an explanation of what they were going to do, versus a proper debate, the sub moved in, just under the surface of the water, with the periscope sticking up. Now that they were underway, Tubby worked with the crew to keep the sub calm and level. Wanks took the periscope to lead the upholder to their first target, the largest troop ship of the group. 
with Wanks feeding Tubby course corrections. Suddenly, a small part of a large destroyer appeared right in front of the periscope. The dive order was screamed out, and the upholder just missed the hull of an enemy destroyer. When a few seconds went by and the subcrew realized they were not going to die, at least not at this moment, they all began to breathe again, which is when Wanks realized that diving under the destroyer actually put them within the protective ring around the troop ships. A nerve-wracking blessing, to be sure. Composing himself, Wanks quickly figured out a few things. First, they had seconds before they were spotted, and surrounding German subs was how the Allies had dealt with them back in the Great War, and here Wanks had inadvertently put himself and his in that same predicament. The irony being, the closer they got to their targets for a better chance at a successful strike, also gave the destroyers a better chance of crushing the sub with depth charges. But Wanks had not come this far to have nothing to show for it. He lined up the largest troop ship and ordered the last two torpedoes to be launched. Just as the fish left the sub, their wake was immediately spotted by the Italians who sent up a flare. Events moved quickly after this. One, the troop ship had been just too close when the upholder fired. Thus, it was hit and seemed doomed from that moment. Also, right after the fish left, Wanks ordered the sub to dive. No matter what they did, the torpedoes and the target, at this point, had their own fate. So, it was time to go deep, run silent, and make their way out of this area. All the while, those five destroyers immediately started dropping depth charges. By now, the sub was quiet, with Wanks calmly delivering course adjustments. The rest of the men looked up from where they stood or sat, waiting for an explosive to crush in the top of their sub. As if answering this thought, a nearby depth charge caused a few lights to go out and some gauges to break, which changed nothing. It was now a matter of wills. Wanks was determined to get his men home. Those five destroyer captains were desirous of revenge for their lost troop ship, and to make sure that there were no other victims that night, except for those souls in the sub. Again and again, the screws of a destroyer let the subcrew know that the enemy was right over them, which meant another explosive was on its way down. The crew started calculating how close the depth charge had to come to be successful, and Wanks could not tell them how close the enemy charges were because his equipment was out. The sub-crew's imagination went into overdrive and did the rest, telling each man that the latest depth charge was actually closer than what it really was. And the destroyers were certainly motivated. Between 8.45 p.m. and 9.05, at least 37 depth charges were dropped. Some crewmen worried over a blast crushing their vessel, while others worried about a charge going off underneath them, which would have forced the upholder to the surface, where it would have been blasted into smithereens by the destroyer's guns. As nerve-wracking as this was for the crew, they might have forgotten that this could go on for hours, even longer. The destroyers had ten times the speed of the sub, and with the ASDIC broken, the upholder was not going to be outrunning or outmaneuvering 
anyone. No, it was a time of constant moving, constant turns, and constant tension. And it was probably the culmination of all these that made one crewman snap as he rushed for the conning tower to try to undo the latch. He yelled that he did not want to die like this. He wanted to get out. His crewmates grabbed him, pulled him down, and held him. He and they would just have to wait. Either their suffering would end abruptly, or it would go on for a while. The next four explosions sounded very close. Again, this was an estimate, but the shaking sub seemed to confirm it. The last explosion was followed by an unsettling noise that only grew. The crew, as one man, turned to Wanks, who calmly stroked his beard, kept looking through the periscope, and simply said, that was the sound of the troop ship breaking up and sinking. The men, again as one, sighed in relief that it was not them. Gradually, the explosions were less nearby, then less frequent. For whatever reason, and it was probably to help the survivors of the troop ship, the attack on the upholder came to an end. At 11 p.m., Wanks surfaced his boat. There was total darkness, and no other vessel was around. But what did linger was the smell of oil, which made Wanks smile. It was now time to go home. Postscript. The crew of the Upholder would have been even more excited, and indeed they were once they found out, that their loaned victim of May 24th on their last attack had been the 18,000-ton troop ship, the Conte Rosso. Built in Scotland and launched in 1922, the Conte had been decorated with lavish Italian decorations and even had an outdoor dining area. Yet on the night of May 24, 1941, Wanklin's lone torpedo sank her about 16 kilometers or 9 nautical miles from Sicily. Of the 2,729 men on board, 1,297 were lost. Next time, with the coming of Operation Barbarossa, Malta will receive a reprieve as the German pilots are sent to the east. But the island's supply problems and her survival are far from being determined. Greetings, everyone, from Central Virginia. So, in no particular order, first of all, I'd like to say that I hope Jerry is enjoying his Churchill coffee mug that his daughter Anastasia got for him for Christmas. Jerry, drinking good health. All right, next, as far as uh, saying hello to new members, um, there was a Ryan S. who got a subscription for membership for his father and uncle for Christmas, so that makes Ryan the best son and nephew there is. Uh, and see, another gentleman named Rasmus got a subscription for his father, Jacob, so thank you very much. Uh, let's see, welcome aboard Al um, Sonia Allison from Grace Point, New South Wales, Australia, Bruce Ryan from Ontario, uh, Michael F. from Maine. I'm um, not sure how to say the last name, Michael, so I don't want to butcher it for you. James Starger from Polk, Pennsylvania. Mary Cole from is that Carmel, Indiana. And Joran Peterson from Norway. As far as those who have donated during this uh, holiday season, thank you very much. Um, see, there's Thomas Nolfi, Mark Evans, Michael Teasdale, Ronald Wakefield, Ash James, Chad Reinhardt, which is 
one of the coolest names out there. Uh, Chantel Heeb, uh, Casey Bangs, Mitch Fitchner, and Kevin O'Brien. And on a different note, I just wanted to let you all listeners know that I was recently interviewed on the At Ease Military Connections podcast with Gary Pounder. Uh, Check that out if you will be so kind. Uh, Gary, thank you for having me on the show. I'd love to come back on at any time. Uh, But Gary just wanted to ask some questions, some origin questions and some other stuff about my experiences over the last 11 years doing this podcast. Um... I would also like to say hello to the new listener, Andrew Norby, who is from Wisconsin, I believe, who bought a Churchill mug. Also, Craig Fulton bought a mug, and he's from Washington State, so thank you very much. I have three Churchill mugs left if anybody wants them before I have to order some more. And knowing those people, the prices are probably going to go back up. So just to let you know, you can... If you're uh, in the in the states, look on my website. If you're outside of America, just shoot me an email to wwiipodcast at gmail.com. Let me know where you're from and that you want a mug, and we'll work out all the details. I'll make it really easy on you. Um, let's see. That's probably enough for now. I'll catch up with all the other people who have donated and who have become members over those couple of weeks where I did a lot of interviews. But I will catch up, and I will thank you each and every one of you. And I would just like to end by saying, I hope everyone has a safe and happy 2022. Um, So who knows what's in store, but be good to each other, be kind, be understanding, and together we'll get through this. There is no other way to get through it or anything like this. So let's just, let's just be nice to each other. Um, And Finally, I just want to say hi to five random members that I just picked off the uh, the list that I have. Uh, Elliot Muller, Ethan Edenmill, Edenmill, Walter Labio, Duncan McInnes, and Sarah Probasco. So again, just picked five men- members randomly. Just want to say hi. Thank you for supporting the show. It really does make a difference around here. So um, I do have a few more interviews coming up, but they will now be sprinkled with regular episodes. That was just something I did uh, because I made a bunch of promises to publishers and I needed a little break. Um, But now we're back and we'll do a good mix of uh, regular episodes, interviews, and some really good books out there. So I'm, I'm happy to bring those to your attention. So again, thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting the show. And I will see you as soon as I can with the next episode in the new year. Take care, everyone.